I really wanted to play that song to you this morning because Lauren Daigle, who sung that song as a 15-year-old, contacted a very strange uh, disease that totally housebound her um, for a couple of years. And during that year, those years as a 15-year-old, she decided she was going to trust in God to take her through that time. And she has just, she's just in her early 20s, I believe, and she has just very recently released this album of some of her own songs. And already it has just broken through the Christian and the secular music world uh, just because she remembers what God does for her and she testifies very clearly that it's in the dark times that God does his deepest work that prepares us for what he has in mind. And as we look at the life of David, we can see this. So often we can see that it looked as though things were stacked against him and yet he was going the right direction. And that's the title for our talk this morning. What direction are you going in? Because David had chosen as a young boy, a young child, he had chosen when he was out looking after sheep on the hillside, he had chosen that God was going to be his shepherd, that he was going to choose the one who created the heavens and the earth, that he was going to be God's man and he wanted his heart to be like God's heart. And so he made that choice. That was a direction that he had set his life on. Whereas Saul had lost his way and Saul had moved away from God and was going the the wrong direction. And last time we saw that he was moving into distress and depression. And we're going to see that he continued to go the wrong way as we look at the story today. Now just this title, What Direction Are You Going In? I just couldn't help but think of a little story over the weekend because Jerry and I went to Vienna. We went over to the 24... uh, 24-7 prayer conference and we had an amazing time there but a lot of the time we were traveling back and forwards because it was different venues for uh, the different meetings so sometimes we'd be in the center of Vienna and other times we'd be further out so we got kind of we're priding ourselves a bit that we're getting used to doing these undergrounds and you know being able to get the trams and kind of know who we were and we could work it from Stevensplatz and we knew where we were going we're doing very well but the last night we came out, it was quite late, we'd been on a, we'd been at a great time, we'd had an amazing time of worship, there's a lot going on, but 11 o'clock we're heading home, and we're thinking, right, we'll just get, we know where we're going, we get on this, so we get onto this underground, and we're flying along, we're chatting away. Now, we had a bit of a problem because there was just two words we got kind of confused. One was Oob, and one was Uberla. And Oob was the name of the station we were going to, and Uberla was the place that was away up the track. Anyway, we were so engrossed in our conversation, we didn't quite catch where, 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 this, where we should have got off. And after a wee while, we suddenly thought, I think we were overshot. So the next stop, out we popped. And as soon as we got out, we thought, no, we're all right, we're all right here. And, and then we kind of looked at each other and we thought, maybe we were going the right direction. So we turned around to get in back into the train. And the train, you know the way how quickly they stopped, they just, just stopped like that. So that was that. So we decided then we'd sit down and we would scratch our heads and think a bit more. And then we thought, no, maybe we were going the right direction. So we waited and the clock said another train was coming in 15 minutes. So we waited another 15 minutes as it turns out, to go the wrong direction. <laughs> so we wait for another 15 minutes and then the train up it pops again and we hop 
and we're going and one stop and the next stop and the next thing it just slides up and the train the tram stops and this voice in, in German and in English says last stop good night <laughs> so, so Jerry and I we got out and we looked at all these people were kind of going so we followed the crowd as you do and we looked out and we thought no this is nowhere near where we're meant to be so we came back in and the whole platform is completely deserted by this time it's after 12 o'clock after midnight and we were thinking are there any more trams and where are we and so we're sitting there and uh, then we began to study again and we began to think well we're at the last stop so we'll have to go back. That was pretty good deduction, wasn't it? <laughs> so we kind of worked it out and we waited for another, so another 15 minutes, we saw there was one coming in, so sat another 15 minutes and up came a tram and we asked, uh, we didn't use German, we tried to use our best sign language to some of these guys who told us yes and pointed, yes, that's the way. So sure enough, we got back into the tram and it came after 15 minutes and coming up on quarter ten to one, we were making it into the hostel. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then on top of all of that, we got into the lift where we were meant to go up two floors and I accidentally hit the one for down two floors. <laughs> so we decided that the Lord was trying to teach us that sometimes you have to go down before you go up. <laughs> And anyway, it was a good story, and we had lots of laughs over it. But you see, this morning, we're going to be talking about getting and going and growing on the right direction. That's what David was doing. And there were times when David, it seems, kind of got off the train and made a bit of a fupa. But the thing was, he always wanted to get back on again. He wanted to turn around. That was the difference in his heart and Saul's heart. David was willing to turn around and go back and repent and go back the wrong direction again if necessary to get to the right place. Whereas Saul was constantly making faux pas and, and, and not willing to, to repent or not willing to come to God and admit that he was wrong. He had a wrong spirit, he was going the wrong direction. And this morning as we look at this story of Goliath, we are going to kind of test out what direction are we going in because if we're going in the Lord's direction, we're gonna get stronger. We're going, to get, we're going to get stronger and yes, through our mistakes, when we repent, God will even teach us and make us, bring us even into greater victories because that's what God does. And so we're going to read a little bit, we probably won't have time to read it all, but let's just remind ourselves of the scenario of all of this. And I want to ask you, what's your scenario today? Let's remind ourselves, First Samuel 17 verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped, etc., etc., and just moved down. And Saul, verse 2, and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose feet was six cubits and a span and then it tells us about the bronze helmeted on him and the coat of mail and the bronze armour and the javelin and all of that and he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them why have you come out to line up for battle am I not a Philistine and you're the servant of Saul choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me if he's able to fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants but if I prevail against him and kill him then we'll be your servants and the Philistine said I defy the armies of Israel this day 
Give me a man that we might fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The scenario was that this Philistine, Goliath. Now, Goliath apparently means um, uncover. I think it has the idea, according to Louis Giglio's book, the idea of wanting to strip. And I want to tell you that Goliath is a kind of a picture of our enemy, of Satan, and he wants to strip you of everything that God would give you. He wants to destroy you. And so as we look at Goliath, we're actually looking at a picture of our enemy. And we see that he, he called himself a champion. The word champion means a middleman. One who could decide the outcome of a particular battle by one single-handed fight with a similar champion from the opposing side. Goliath fancied himself as a champion, the middleman, the one who was going to decide the battle. I can tell you that Satan wants to be the one who's going to decide the outcome of your battle, but you have another, Jesus Christ, who is the middleman who is able to fight your battles and bring out the, the result that he wants to bring out of your life. This Philistine uh, is a picture of Satan. Nine feet, nine inches tall, with his coat of mail weighing nine stone. Now, can you imagine the coat of mail that he was wearing? The coat itself weighed nine stone. I mean, can you imagine what this man looked like? What his physique was like? And he wore a bronze helmet. Now, bronze is heavy, so he had a bronze helmet on his head. He had bronze armour down his legs. I mean, can you imagine the weight of all of this? He had a, a bronze javelin hanging over his shoulders. Now, I want to tell you something, that a javelin, javelin is a weapon that you throw. What a picture of the enemy. Because he loves to take, take words and throw them like a javelin to hit your heart and hit your mind. To destroy you. What a picture of the enemy. He was an intimidating sight to see. And the staff part of a spear, and he had a big, big spear, and the staff of it, it says, was like a weaver's beam. I don't know if you've been anywhere where you see weaving going on. Sometimes I've seen it in places throughout Ireland where you can go in and see them weaving. Have you ever seen that big beam thing? I mean, how was he going to hold that? That's what the staff of his spear looked like. And, and the spearhead itself, just the wee top of it, weighed over one stone. I mean, can you imagine all of this weight? I want to tell you, it's a very, very powerful picture of our enemy, of Satan. Goliath was a killing machine. And that's exactly what Satan is. Jesus said that he was out to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he is after us. And you see, it's very interesting that the children of Israel were in a valley situation. They were in the valley of Elah whenever this giant appeared. And so often, don't you think, it's so often whenever you're kind of in a bit of a low place going through a valley that the enemy comes up and steps up to confront you and to intimidate you and make you feel you're not going to get through this valley. And I don't know what kind of a of a giant is coming against you right now. Maybe you're in a place and you're in the mountaintop and you don't feel there's a giant around you. Well, do you know what? He might be around before too long because he tends to look for those dips and those opportunities when he can come in to oppose you. And he speaks words. He speaks words that sound as though he has got the right to decide what's going to happen in your life. 
He comes like Goliath with uh, intimidating force and intimidating words. He speaks as though he is the champion of the world who has the right to rule us. And of course, that, that is actually partly true because he is known as the God of this world. But praise God, our champion Jesus has already decided who we belong to. So he has no right to rule over us. And the question is, are you in the valley right now and is there a giant in your life? What is your scenario? Now, I've been reading, I must admit, not right right through, but I'm reading bits and pieces out of this book, and I would recommend you to read it. It's called Goliath Must Fall, Winning the Battle Against Your Giants, and it's by Louis Giglio. And it's really a really good read, and I think you probably would really get a lot out of it. And certainly, um, I just feel it's it's a book for, for this season. But it's interesting that he points out that Goliath... It wasn't the only giant mentioned in the Bible. He was actually a descendant of a whole line of oversized warriors. Uh, And you can read about that in 1 Chronicles 20. And even these giants had different names. Uh, And so he points out that, that we could have a string of giants coming against us. Maybe that's why, uh, maybe that's why David took the five stones, just in case some of the brothers came along and he was ready for them. But these giants will come against you and they will come to, to shout and taunt you in your situation. Some of the words, uh, Louis Giglio Louis suggests that some of the words that the giant can shout at us are this. You're too small. You can't do it. You're too weak to overcome anything. I wonder if anybody heard those words. You're too old. That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> History is against you. The giant would say, I'm undefeated. You don't have a chance. The giant would say, you're just like your mother or your father or your sister or your brother. The giant would say, this will always be a part of your life. You can't change. Get used to it. Your life will always be this way. Face it deep down, you don't even want to be different. Those are some of the things that the enemy might say to you. But you know what? We're going to go through a journey today and I believe we're going to see that God wants to say something different to you. As we read on in the story, we see that not only was this the scenario of the giant ready ready to fight and looking for someone to take him on, but we see that David was at home. Now, I know we touched on this last week, but I'm just going to mention it again. David is a picture of a servant. He's a faithful son. Yes, he'd been up on the palace, he'd been ministering to Saul, but at this particular stage he was back with his father in his father's house, doing as his father asked him. And whenever his father asked him, would he go up to the battle and serve his brothers, David was willing to become like a servant and carry up the bread and cheese and go up to help his brothers. And you know, I just couldn't help but put a wee phrase in in your notes there that we need to compare Jesus, who was in heaven with his father whenever we were in difficulties. But at his father's bidding, who will go for us? Like Jesus, David was willing to go. And whenever he arrived at the battlefront and he got there, he saw that the Philistines and the Israelites had drawn up battle facing each other. And he ran straight to his brothers and David heard the words, the taunting words of the enemy. And here's the question. David was going to challenge these words, but here's the question to you. When you hear those same words, because it's amazing how he uses the same words. Have you ever noticed that? 
that throughout your life it can change in different seasons of your life but how often the enemy doesn't change what he says he just uses the same taunts the same lies and he's relentless and he just keeps speaking those words into your mind into your heart and you begin to believe because you get almost almost hypnotized by the voice of the enemy and the lie that he speaks to you and the question is are you going to be like david are you going to challenge them are you going to are you going to are you going to say i'm not going to receive that word are you going to continue to let that word keep you going in the wrong direction because god wants to speak to you god has something to say and i'll tell you when god speaks when god speaks something happens and god has something different to say to you god wants you to hear his voice David challenged what he heard. Just let me read this wee bit whenever he got to his brothers. Let's just look at 1 Samuel 17 and uh, verse, verse 22. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper and he ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. This is up at the battlefront. And as he talked with his brothers, there was the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from, his, from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. In other words, he was saying the same taunting words that he had spoken before. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you see the indignant attitude that David had? Who is this giant? Who is he? And then he says, what, what shall be done to the man who will take away the reproach of Israel? You see, in that moment, David saw a cause for him to fight. And he was willing to fight. When you compare the life of Jesus being willing to leave his father's house and come down to this earth, well, it's so like the, the picture of David being willing to leave his father's home and go to the battlefront, go to the place where the danger was. And when David went and he realised that there was a cause to fight, he was willing to fight to get the reward, but also he was willing to fight for the honour of the Lord. Let me tell you that David saw the reward as the bride in other words Saul's daughter would be given to the whoever defeated this giant Saul's daughter would be given to him to marry he would get the, he would get a bride he would get the king's daughter and you see when you look at Jesus and you see that he was willing to leave heaven leave his father's house and come down here why was he willing to come down here well there was a cause because we were all in trouble there was a terrible cause because we were going to hell but he wanted the reward. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He saw his bride. He saw every one of us. And he was willing to go and fight for you because you were his reward. Sometimes I think we don't realise how much God loves us, how much Christ values us as his, as his bride. And that Christ was willing to go to the cross to fight for you, that he could have you as his bride that he could have the reward of having his people with him throughout all eternity. What a beautiful little example in this story that's kind of just slipped in there. 
And so David saw the cause. He saw there was a reason that he needed to go to war against this giant. Nobody else was going to do it. His brothers were in difficulty. Israel was about to be defeated by this giant of a man. And David is willing to step out and fight. But he's not going to go in his own strength. He's going to go in the strength of the Lord. And so the next title that I have in your notes is The Stepping Out. First one was a scenario. Then there was the servant. That was David who became the servant to go and fight for his brothers. Now there's the stepping out. And as he steps out, we see that his brother is just there, ready to speak a word of condemnation over him. Isn't it interesting that whenever we're ready to do something for God, there'll nearly always be somebody around. And it's sad to say, very often it's somebody who should know better. And very often they'll come in with a word of discouragement instead of encouragement. It says in, um, it says in, in chapter... 17 that as david spoke uh, it says that people were listening and verse 28 now eliab his oldest brother heard when david spoke to the men and eliab's anger was aroused against david and he said why did you come down here and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness i know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle do you remember we've talked over these last few weeks how there may have been some problems within the family of Jesse? And we don't want to go back over that again. But you know, you can see little glimpses here and there where there was, where the brothers weren't fully, really, I mean, certainly Eliab wasn't appreciating David, was he? He judged him right away. He says, you know, as scathing as he could be, what, why, why did you come down here to the battle? Like, we're the fighters, we're the big men. Who do you need those few sheep with anyway? I, I know you're full of pride. And so he's immediately discouraging. He was, he was immediately discouraging David. And so often we find that in the body of Christ. I'm really sorry to say that, but it is true. Sometimes we can have this older brother attitude. And David, uh, Jesus even told a story of the, remember the prodigal son? Remember the, the older brother who was at home who didn't appreciate him coming back? Well, you know, there's this older brother attitude where sometimes we can judge those who are willing to step out. And sometimes, actually, we're judging those who are, who are more interested in serving God than we are. Sometimes those who are willing to step out and put themselves in the line, you know, sometimes we can, we can judge them wrongly. Would you agree with me? And so it's very easy to be like this older brother. It's easy to make wrong judgments. But look, let's listen to what David said. David said, what have I done now? Can you just imagine that? What have I done now? And then he says this very, very significant little phrase. Is there not a cause? You know something, folks? When the Holy Spirit shows us a reason or a cause to stand up for Jesus, we need to be willing to step out and we need to be willing to encourage anybody else that's willing to step out as well. We don't want to be discouraging anybody from doing what God wants us to do. And you know, when we are willing to step out and fight for God's righteous cause, you know what happens? We, we should remember, as our song said earlier, that there is a reward. That, you know, it amazes me that when we receive Jesus as Saviour, that we get this assurance that we're going to heaven. We get this assurance that he's with us throughout life and he's going to take us through the journey and keep us in the right direction. And if we step off and get to go the wrong direction, he's going to bring us back in again. I mean, all of this, we have his Holy Spirit. We have such a, he gives us so much at the moment of salvation to think that on the top of all that he gives us, 
there's going to be a reward for any little thing that we do. I mean, that is amazing that he would give us a reward. But, you know, we want the reward because we want to take it and put it at his feet. We want to have something to come. You know, we used to sing an old song, Must I Come and Empty Handed? Are we going to come, you know, having received all the blessings of salvation and a very little to actually lay at his feet and say, God, I did that because I loved you. And so David saw there was a cause and he was willing. He was willing to step out. You know what? I believe this morning there's going to be some of you and God wants you to step out. I believe this morning that God is actually calling some of you to say, you know, I'm going to step out of where I am. I'm going to fight for what God wants to give me. I am not going to sit back any longer. I am not going to allow the enemy to have his way in my life. And so we've looked at the, the scenario, we've looked at the servant, we've looked at stepping out. Isn't it quite good I've got all these S's this morning? And now we're going to look at the Saul syndrome, because when Saul heard what was going on, that somebody was willing to fight. Remember, Saul was the tallest man. He was far taller than any other man in the kingdom, and yet he was... Uh, shivering and afraid in a corner, afraid to go out and face Goliath himself. But when he heard there was somebody who was willing to do it, he called him to him. Let's just read what Saul said. Verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fall or fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Now just listen to this. How encouraging is this? You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're only a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. And so Saul, even though he was kind of, well, are you willing to fight? He wasn't encouraging them either. He was, but you see, you've got to remember that Saul had a worldly mindset. Saul didn't think the way David thought. When you go in the wrong direction, you stop believing that God can do miracles. Would you agree with me? When you're going the wrong direction, your faith is going right down to zero and you don't believe that God can do miracles. And Saul had become very worldly in his thinking. And so he, he was looking in the natural. He wasn't looking in the spiritual. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came, came out and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. And killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, saying he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he, listen, talk about declaration, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David was remembering what he had come through before. Do you know, it's very interesting about the idea of the lion and the bear. The lion, what does that remind us of in the, in the Bible? So often it reminds us of Satan coming like a, a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. David had already defeated the lion. The bear, what does the bear remind us of? A bear comes and it puts its arms around you and it squeezes the life out of you in order to kill you. What does that remind us of? The world. David had already defeated both of these enemies. David, David knew, he remembered how God had delivered him in the past. And so he had confidence to speak out for the moment, for right now. And in this day, now, that he, that he was going to see the enemy of the Lord defeated. And Saul said to David, go when the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. Can you just see this Saul syndrome? This Saul, well, you're just a youth, doesn't believe. 
No, no belief for the miraculous. And then when David declares, and make, I'm going to go for it, and I'm trusting God, he's kind of, well, okay, on you go, but here you better put, put, my, put my armor on. The world's armor is not enough. It's not good enough for us to go to slay our giants. David put on Saul's armor, and it was so heavy, he couldn't even move. He said, I can't even walk in this, because I haven't proved it. Listen, we needn't go to fight the Lord's battles, trying to do it in a worldly way. We can forget about the worldly armor. It's not going to stand. It's not going to, it's not going to help us in any shape or, 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 or form. What was the secret of David's courage? Well, he knew the Lord was going to be with him. It says, then David, it says, verse um, 40, he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Listen, I love, I love this picture of David's courage, the secret of his courage. What did he do? As a young boy, I'm guessing he was probably a young boy when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. We quoted it, we read it this morning in the prayer room. The Lord is my shepherd. He knew he was not going alone. He knew that he was going into a valley situation, which could be a valley of death. And I'm sure he was thinking of those words that he had written. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, Goliath. For thou, you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. No wonder he took the staff in his hand. And he gets this little sling in this pouch. And he goes down to the river and he takes five little stones, smooth stones, and he puts them into his pouch. You know, lots of people have said it was a five for, for the different giants. I don't know, but you know what I love to think? I love to think about all the, the Psalms that David wrote. And so often, just five words were so important to David. The Lord is my shepherd. Five the Lord is my defense. The Lord is my strength. So many five words. And as he took these five stones, I'm sure he was saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my champion. He's the one who's going to take me through. And so he took the five stones and he approached Goliath. It tells us that Goliath looked around him and when he saw David, he disdained and cursed him. Let me just read it to you because it's far more powerful as you read the story than it would ever be in, in what I am going to say. It's verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. Can you see them both approaching each other? And the man who bore the shield went before him. Goliath, with all of this armour, had a man in front of him as well to go, in, to go in front. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Listen, that's the kind of talk that Satan speaks. That's the kind of fearful stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy you. This situation's going to destroy you. You're going down. That's what the enemy says in our ear. If we're honest, there have been circumstances, there's been times in our lives and circumstances in our lives when we've heard that voice so often. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David's secret, the reason he had courage to step out and face this giant was because, first of all, he knew that God was going to be with him. Secondly, he knew who he was. He knew his identity. It's interesting because just this morning I was getting a cup of tea out in the foyer and Neil McClellan called me over and he had been praying in the prayer room and he just felt the Lord give, me a, give him a word that he was to pass on to me this morning. And, and I had already written this word in my notes. And it's about identity. And, and I just feel the fact that God sent Neil to come and give me that word about identity means there's somebody here and you need to know who you are in Christ. There's somebody here and you need to know that you're not just any old person. You belong to Jesus Christ. He is your shepherd. You need to know that you come in his name. That you don't come on your own, that you come in his name. And you need to know that he is with you. And Neil said he'd give me two words. That was the first one. Knowing your identity. And the second one was that you needed to know about treasure, that you're a treasure in an earthen vessel. I think there's somebody in this room. God sent Neil, I believe, to bring those words because there's somebody in this room this morning and you don't think you're of any value to God. In fact, maybe you don't even think you're of any value to anybody. You don't think you have anything that God can use. You think you're past it, you're done for. I tell you, I remember feeling like that way, way back in the 90s when everything in my life had gone pear-shaped. You get that word, pear-shaped. You know, you get it out. I remember a man on my face in the ground and thinking, I am finished. I'm no good. I'm spoiled goods. I'm done for. I don't even know how to go on. But you know what? God lifted me up because God, Jesus went to the cross for me because of the joy that was set before him. He saw me and he went to the cross for me. If there was nobody else but me, he would still have gone to the cross. And it's the same for you. He saw you. You're his bride. He gave himself for you. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And you're of much more value, Jesus said, than many sparrows. Don't think you're of no consequence. Jesus values you so much that he went to the cross for you. You're in an earthen vessel, but you're a treasure. Maybe there's somebody this morning and you need to say to yourself, I am God's treasure. Maybe you need to actually speak that out. Also had another word this morning from Karen, wherever she is, and she felt it was so important for women this morning that, that there were women here who needed to learn to speak out and use your voice. You've got a voice for a reason. You don't win these, these battles by being mealy-mouthed and by shutting your mouth. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put his hand over your mouth and he wants to stop you declaring God's truth and speaking God's word. You've been given a mouth and you've got to learn to use it and you've got to start declaring it because out of your mouth will go the word of God and the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword and it defeats the giants in your life. And so... David is using the sword of the word of God and he's declaring, the Lord, I belong to him and you're Goliath, you're going down. That's what he was basically saying to him. You're going down. David knew he belonged to the shepherd. 
That was his true spiritual identity. And he knew the power of God on his life already. He knew that the battle was the Lord's. Do you know what? We need to remind ourselves that the battle is the Lord's. David was just ready for a supernatural victory. I wonder, are there people here this morning? I wonder, are there some of you, and you're just ready to get a supernatural breakthrough, a supernatural victory, that your giants, those things, whatever they are, whether they're small or great, that, that those giants are going down this morning. Oh, Lord, may it be so. David was just set up for a supernatural victory. Let's read the rest of these verses here. Verse 47, then, all the, this assembly, then David said, All of this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand on his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Get the picture. David wasn't going to shrink away from this giant. You know, there's times in our lives when it's really easy to just get into a corner and pull the sheets over your head and just say, I'm just staying here and I, I just have to lie in here and go into depression. And that's not the way we, 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 we win our battles. We've got, to, we've got to step towards the problems. We've got to be real. We've got to start to tell others and go get help. Start to talk. Bring it into the light. Don't let it stay in the darkness. David didn't shrink away. What did he do? He says he ran towards the giant. He, he didn't like kind of go half, like one step forward and two back. He ran towards Goliath. He faced it. And we need to face and go towards the problems and difficulties in our lives. In the name of the Lord, with God's word in our sling. And you see, when he took that sling, and you can just see him as this little youth, so much smaller than Goliath, no armour, just, just coming with a sling and his staff, and he comes and he starts to sling the stone, and as he, as he, as he, as he loosed that sling, that stone went, and I am convinced that the Spirit of God took that stone and guided it to the very spot that it just hit the giant in the little opening, the only place in his armour where anyone could attack or break through, the stone went right into his head. I love the way, I haven't time to read it, but uh, maybe I will read a bit of it in a minute, uh, where I love the way that, that Louis Giglio describes the giant's eyes begin to flutter in his head. <laughs> and down he goes. You see, God wants us to use his word the word of God is a sword of the Spirit. And he wants us to take, he wants us to take his word and use it. And I believe that we can put God's word into our sling, so to speak, according to the situation. And we can actually have the Holy Spirit's help to just loose that and actually destroy the giant that's coming against us. It's very interesting because in the Old Testament, in Judges 20 and 16, it talks about 700 select men. They were all actually left-handed men, so they were a bit out of sync with everybody else. But there were, there were 700 of them, and it says that they could sling a stone at a hair's breadth, breadth at nothingness. I believe that's what God wants us to learn to be women in the spirit. 
that we can take the word of God. That's why it's so important to get the word into our hearts. If we don't get the word into our hearts and into our minds, if we don't think the word and speak the word, then we're not going to be able to take it and put it in the sling and use it against the enemy. But we've got to get the, the, the word of God and we've got to learn to be experts, select women who can take it and throw it at a hair's breadth that it's not going to miss. And the enemy will go down every time. Because God's word is greater. What God says is greater than anything that's coming out of the enemy's mouth. And we can take down those, those giants in our lives. And God wants us by his Holy Spirit. He wants to make us accurate with his word. And David didn't only defeat the giant. Let me read on what it says. Because not only did he kill him with this stone. It says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in his hand in the hand of David. Remember that Jesus, Jesus defeated the enemy, not with a sword. Remember he told Peter, put away your sword. He defeated the enemy by giving his life. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took, his, took the Philistine's sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to gates of Elkron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Get the picture. David threw that stone, and by the power of God, that stone, I just see it going, maybe it had to go like that, but it was going the right way, it was going to hit the spot. It hit the spot, it took the giant down, and then he goes and he pulls out the sword of the giant, and he, take, he stands over him, and he, just to be absolute, everybody else would say that he's definitely dead, he takes it and he hacks it off his head. Now again, there's a lovely chapter in this about, about how the enemy, uh, how Jesus has defeated and taken the head of the enemy. Didn't last, the battle didn't last long. It says here in, in uh, Louis Giglio's book, to cut to the chase, this battle didn't last too long. If you'd paid a lot of money for a ringside seat or a pay-per-view pass, you'd have been disappointed. But the action, though swift, was stunning. Goliath and David exchanged a few key words. David took out a stone, slung it at the giant, and the giant fell at his feet, dead. Bam! The first was a knock. The, the fight was a first round knockout. Ten seconds after the opening bell, everything was over except the popcorn and the sweeping up. <laughs> and then he takes, then he takes his sword and he cuts the head off. I, I'm not sure if I can just find where I've marked that bit, but it was really, really good as well if I can find it. But he takes the head off and he hangs the head up. He holds it up and you can imagine he was talking about maybe he didn't get right through all the sinews. It was a bloody mess, wasn't it? to cut through his head and then lift the head up. But why was that important? That everybody could see that he really was dead. Do you know what? We need to realise that when we come and we fight our giants, in the, well actually Jesus fights for us, when we realise that he is the one who's already won the victory and on account of what he has done, we claim the victory through the power of what he says and what he has done for us. That our, our enemy, our giant, is already dead and has no power over us. Whenever we realise that, we can actually take the head of whatever that giant is. Maybe it's been an addiction. Maybe it's been some kind of a relationship problem. Maybe it's been unforgiveness. Whatever that giant is that's coming against you, whatever that taunt is, you, can, you need to take that head. And, and I love what Louis Giglio said. You need to actually start to show 
Show your victories. Talk about the victories. Talk about the giants that you that through Christ that have been knocked down in your life. So often God does things for us, and what do we do? Zip. We don't hold up the head of what was tormenting us. We don't tell anybody about it. We just sort of okay, so and then before we know that giant's knocking on our door again. Because he's saying, oh, I'm not really dead, I'm here. No, we need to declare it, confess it, bring it into the light. There's power in confession. There's power in speaking out what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what Lauren Daigle's talking about. She's remembering. She's remembering that she went through hardship, but God's brought her through. And so we see this giant is dead. But here's the point that really grabbed me this week. Not only did he take the head off, but you see whenever the Philistines realised that the giant was down, and they, and they saw the head, and they realised he was really, really dead. It just, can you imagine the cheer that went up? Can you imagine the excitement in the ranks of the Israelites when they realised that this little boy had miraculously, that God had used him to bring down this giant, that, they were, that they'd won, that they'd had victory? Do you know what happened? It rallied them up, and all of them started to chase the Philistines. And the Philistines realised they were done for, and they started, it says they chased them right along through the valley, right as far as, as Gath, right back to where Goliath originally came from. Right back to his hometown. You know what? You and I need to stop having small minds. We need to stop thinking, well, if I can just kind of get through this with my skin of my teeth. Do you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he won the the victory for you right back as far as the gates of hell. And he chased the victory back. He chased the enemy back. And you and I need to start to live in the good of what Jesus has done. We've talked so far this morning, and here's my time going, not too bad. The scenario, we've looked at that. We've looked at where we're at. We've looked at the servant, how David became like a servant. We looked at how he stepped out. We looked at how he dealt with the Saul syndrome, the worldliness. We looked at the secret of his courage. We looked at the supernatural victory that God had given to him. And now we're going to look at the saviour, David's greater son. And we're going to see that thousands of years, over a thousand years later, we're going to see that Jesus who really this is all about because David's just a picture of Jesus, how Jesus ran towards our arch enemy, the champion of the underworld, the one who taunts and brings fear and has tried to destroy and kill humanity, the one who was the problem, right, the serpent, the one right from the book of Genesis who came in with his lies. And Jesus ran towards him. Jesus became the champion, the middleman. The one who was going to make the decision as to who was going to win or lose. Jesus died for us and he rose again. And he not only dealt Satan a death blow, but he totally defeated him and defeated his dominions forever. He plundered the camp of the enemy just the way the the Israelites did. They went and they plundered the, the, the Philistines. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's plundered the camp of the enemy and through his victory, by faith, our victory is forever assured. What happened? Well, overnight, David's life changed. He was exalted by God. He was celebrated by the people. Prior to this, David had been hidden. But at the right time, he had been thrust out into the open and energized by the Holy Spirit's anointing on him, he prevailed against the enemy. Let me tell you something. There's a time for everything in your life. And if the enemy has messed up stuff and you think you're done for, you need to know that God's timing is perfect. 
Jesus came at the appointed time he came to this world. There's a time for everything. David had been hidden, but at the right time he was thrust out. Do you know what? The whole, if you're, in a, if you're in, a, in a situation at the moment, you need to speak it out. You need to ask God to show you how to go forward. And you know, the Holy Spirit will give you insight. The Holy Spirit will give you divine energy and insight and everything that you need to know how to step towards your giant and how to take God's word and how to, how to in God's strength, declare what Jesus has already done, that the victory is already won. That what even, no matter, I don't care how bad your situation is, I don't care how confused you are, I don't care how many bad decisions you've made, you need to know that when you hand it over to him, Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Jesus has already won the battle. And he's ready, as soon as you're ready, he's ready to step with you and take you through out of this valley and bring you into all that he wants to bring you into. No wonder the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 44 and 6. I wanted to read just a couple of these verses to you. Here's what they wrote. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push down our enemies. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor, have my, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. You know, as we start to praise and trust in the Lord and begin to declare that God commands victories for us, things start to shift. But nobody else can do it for you. You've got to start to speak. You've got to use your voice. You've got to start speaking. I believe we need to start speaking and praying God's word. We need to take his word and we need to pray it and declare it and use it like that stone to bring down the situation. Because God means to bring you through whatever you're in right now and he means to use it to work it for your good. Romans 8 and 28, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord according to his purposes. That's what God means to do through this giant. But the giant means to strip you and destroy you and take everything that God wants to give you off of you. And God's saying, look, just keep your eyes on me. Just keep reading and declaring my word. No wonder the, so the, the sons of Korah declared, you are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push down our enemies. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. We need to know that we can, we can experience victories. No wonder that David also wrote himself in Psalm 124, if it hadn't been for the Lord who was on our side, if it hadn't been the Lord who was on our side, he repeats it twice, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Blessed be the Lord who has given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And David writes, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You might feel it like you're in a snare of the fowlers. You might feel that the, the giant has actually got his arms around you. Listen, our God can break you out of any trick or any lies or any words of the enemy because he wants to bring you into all that he has for you. Did Saul enter into the blessing of this? No. Why? Because Saul was set and going the wrong direction. He was still... He was still thinking in his worldly mindset. He didn't enter into the blessings of David's victory. Instead, he looked around in a worldly way and he looked over at David and he said to some of his aides, you sons of 
Do you think he didn't know David? Of course he did. David had been back and forwards ministering to him. Of course he knew David. But you know what he, why he was asking? Whose son is this? He wanted to know what was David's lineage. He's beginning to think, could he be the one that God's going to put in my place? You see the jealousy coming in right away? Do you see his worldly thinking? He's thinking, could this be the one that God's going to... Because he knew that God had torn the, the kingdom from him. You see the suspicion coming in? All of a sudden he saw this youth as a potential threat to his position as king. He didn't enter into the good of the giant being destroyed. Even then Saul was making decisions that would lead in the direction of even greater depths of distress and depression and defeat. Fear, and, and we'll see over these next weeks, even paranoia. Whilst David was moving towards more spiritual enlargement and more victory, Saul was moving the opposite direction, into more depression, into more distress, into more fear and paranoia. But you know what? Because of David's heart being enlarged, because God was giving him victory, Victory enlarges your heart yet again. When you experience Christ giving you victory, he pulls out and stretches and enlarges your heart that you can trust him more because he was growing. Saul was taking notice. Do you know that the enemy sees when your heart is being enlarged? The enemy sees whenever you're growing. And he does take notice. But we actually do not have to worry about the enemy. We can stand firm together. Yes, the enemy will take notice. But we have a God who is our protector. Yes, we're in a war situation. Of course we are. We've got to fight. But you know what? God wants to stretch our hearts for more courage. God wants to stretch our hearts and open our mouths to speak out his word and to become far more skilled at using the word of God. God wants us as women to actually rise up and know who we are. And he wants us to know that our giant may be big, but he's not bigger than the name of Jesus. Louis Giglio says, victory starts with changing our minds. I added in there, and our direction. Jerry and I had the wit to get off when we got to the last stop. With the wit to realize we weren't going anywhere where we were. We had to make a complete turnaround and go back it on again. And you know what? God worked it out. We found the place, no problem. And sometimes in life we can, we can take a wrong turn and we can, we can get ourselves in trouble. But you know what? In my experience, what I have discovered, that God actually uses the diversions. He actually uses the things we get ourselves into to work it all out for his purposes, even to equip us in a greater way. Isn't what kind of a God have we got? That he can actually use all those wrong turns and all of them. We've all made them. Don't tell me you've never made a bit of a diversion. Jerry, isn't that right? God means to work it and turn it around for good. Victory starts with changing our minds and our direction and believing that Jesus fought once and for all and our giant has fallen. Listen, folks, he's dead. He's down. There's a whole chapter in this book about how snakes after they cut the head off and how they're still wriggling. All you're experiencing is the wriggle of the snake. He's already defeated. Don't let him upset you. Start speaking and trusting out and declaring how great your God is because he is mighty. And you know the wonder of it all, this mighty God loves you. I mean, how amazing is that? He loves you. He's committed to you. He's in covenant with you. He's promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. He wants you to start to trust him. A relationship, you've got to trust. 
and he wants your heart to expand and trust him more and you only do that by stepping out in faith whenever it's scary and whenever you think it's too big that's the time to step out in faith that's the time to trust him and that's the time to let him take his word put your jack down Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Just as we were worshipping there, I just had this picture and it was like someone in the room was standing and it was like the giant was lying dead across their feet. And it was like the Lord was saying, would you just step over, step over that dead giant and move forward. And I just saw just a picture of the Lord looking and reaching out his hand and someone deciding to put their hand into the hand of God and to go forward and leave that giant behind. And if that's you, you come up this morning and we'll pray that over you. I think there's some woman here and you face the same old giants for far too long and it's time to step over them and it's time to move forward because, listen, somebody told me the other night they had a dream about a calendar being put in, that the Lord put a calendar into their hand. And I think we need to know that our time is short. That there's a time limit on how long we've been here and the opportunities we have. We can't waste time going round in circles, fighting the same old giants but never actually stepping over them. So we're here to pray with you and, and we want to see we want to see all of you moving forward into the good things. God's going to use all that pain and all that rubbish. He's going to shape you up and use it for good and he's going to take you forward. Anger of his time to step over and to step on with Christ because he has the best. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep going forward for him. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray, O oh God, that your word will be like a stone that will go deep into the heart of every woman. Holy Spirit, would you take your word whatever in whatever way you want to use it and make it and guide it like a stone that will just go right into the very depths of our hearts. We will receive it by faith and step out and go forward with you unafraid because the Lord God Almighty, the one who loved us and died for us, he's the one who's with us and he's the one who fights the battle. And we go with him, trusting him. In Jesus' name, amen.